week and uh, joining me to do this is the uh, independent market commentator and analyst and CA Snesipo Maninjo. Snesipo, uh, good evening to you and welcome. Uh, evening Aya, how are you? Dukona Snesipo, how are you? I'm alright. Good, 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 good. Let's start off here, Snesipo, with uh, what's happening in Cape Town. Now, uh, one of the tourism marketing uh, agencies of the city of Cape Town, they're uh, undertaking a survey and they found in the survey that uh, potentially 90,000 tourism jobs could be on the line uh, if uh, we uh, continue to see, uh, I guess, uh, the halt that uh, has affected the tourism sector, not only in Cape Town, but across the country. Uh, but uh, the bulk, certainly, of uh, tourism jobs that we have, a lot of those coming from that uh, Western Cape City, 90,000, certainly a massive number by any stretch of the imagination. Um, the number is not so surprising. I think, I think we all uh, understand that we are going, going to be with Corona for, for a while and that there, the possibility that you'd only be allowed to travel for, for leisure only in December. So effectively meaning um, eight to, to nine months of no revenue. So it goes to to say that it's sort of expected expected mm. to happen happen, and unfortunately, to you, you have shared of jobs. You've got Ochosan and which announced that they are closing thirty six hotels. You've got Pomela Gaming, which it just went into business rescue. So. It's and it's and when when I looked at the it wasn't just tourism. Um, tourism providing accommodation, there are ancillary um, business owners in that space, like restaurants, tour operators, and they're all in the same same position that of no no in, of no income. And even those, what was quite interesting, because the tourism industry is so untransformed, a lot of them can't access government support. They don't pay their wages. Fairly, so they not register for UIIF. It's it's it, it, it's those structural things, those structural things of exploitation mm. within the tourism industry as well. So you've got to look at that in that context context as well. Because some of the arguments were like the paperwork is too long, is too long for providing relief. Trust me, if you're desperate for the money you'll get through as much paperwork as mm. required. Yeah, and also, I mean, who, who doesn't have to fill out that paperwork? It make it seem like other people don't have to fill out the same paperwork. Um, it's just um, people complaining for no good reason. Um, I get the first frustration, but uh, even for, for me, how I look like, even if we allow domestic travel, how many of us are actually going to travel? Mm. Ah, Snesipo, uh, we seem to be battling with your line there for a second. Uh, let's pause there and uh, try and re-establish Snesipo on a much better line than the one that we have her on. It's our wrap of the top business stories of the day, and uh, we're joined by Snesipo Manindra, a CA and uh, independent market uh, analyst and commentator, speaking to us about some of the big stories that are moving markets. And uh, one of the stories we took a look at, uh, if uh, you just joined us, uh, uh, was uh, uh, the prospect that the city of Cape Town could shed about 90,000 tourism jobs due to COVID-19. And it uh, certainly does make for uh, some difficulties there uh, for... Uh, the uh, city of Cape Town, uh, which uh, is uh, very reliant on uh, this uh, sector, uh, which is uh, also uh, critical.
foreign exchange earner for South Africa. And Desnesipo, uh, let's leave Cape Town for a second and take a look at uh, uh, Construction Group Group 5, uh, set to delist from the JSC after 46 years uh, uh, on the uh, local exchange. Uh, and it seems that all of the last, uh, let me not say last minute, all of the rescue attempts and uh, even the lifelines that were thrown by creditors and investors alike weren't enough to salvage uh, this particular entity or its continued presence on the uh, local stock exchange. What's happening here? So, as we know, Group 5 went into business rescue last year. Um, they're delisting. Uh, there's no value for shareholders. And uh, the business is on its process to be um, liquidated in some form, shape or the other. Um, I think when none of us are surprised, I think... Yeah, I don't know where do they see themselves growing from. That one, it's um, it's quite interesting. It's being reported that the slowdown in SA construction sector was the reason for the demise of Group Five. And I, I always want to say that's in factually incorrect uh, reporting. They're in trouble because of that one little contract in Ghana. Yes, it's that's literally power station vibes. It had very little to do with Sunral or whoever issues. It's I guess construction very infrastructure little to contracts. Do with yeah. It's very it's that one contract and that just uh, I want people to understand the concept of mega projects and the possibility when they go wrong, they go monumentally wrong. And unfortunately the specific project um took down group five. I think lessons is don't bid for a gas power station if you've never built a gas power station. Mm-hmm. That is literally as simple as it is. We're gonna learn on the job. <laughs> we are gonna learn <laughs> on the <laughs> job. I don't fix price. Don't fix mm. price. Another reason: don't fix price. You're yes, never. Don't fix the prices of a big, uh, you know, infrastructure build linked to a tournament like the World Cup. Yes. Yeah. Tough times. Thanks. Let's pause there for a second. And uh, when we come back, I want us to talk about uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa's remarks and his capacity uh, as the chair of the African Union on this question of debt relief. Uh, uh, I think very little of that has uh, made it into our conversation here in South Africa, which is quite surprising because, uh, I mean, in, in an environment like this, uh, that's when you often expect a conversation about uh, some form of uh, leniency when it comes to debt obligations or even relief or even holidays uh, uh, or total debt wipeout. And uh, it seems uh, uh, many in sub-Saharan Africa are calling for debt relief during this period. And uh, President Sir Ramaphosa, uh, in his capacity as uh, a chair of the AU, uh, suggesting that uh, that relief... Uh, might require some, uh, I guess, a stay of those obligations for about two years or so. We'll continue and take a look at that story with Snesipo after this. Are you an informal business owner in Gauteng province seeking a permit to operate within the COVID-19 lockdown period? If so, avoid long queues by registering online through the Gauteng Informal Business Permit app and Mobi site. This free online system will help you avoid queues and the app works on any phone made in the last 10 years. Should a permit require further validation, you can call 087-057-2000, 087-057-2000 and choose the informal business permit validation option. To apply, go to uh, informal.gauteng.gov.za. Growing Gauteng together, this message is brought to you by the Gauteng Department of Economic Development. Eight minutes it is uh, before 8 p.m. And uh, I'm in conversation with Snesipo Manindra, if you just joined us. And we're taking a look at uh, the big stories in the marketplace at the start of this new week. And one of those, Snesipo, uh, certainly a, a headline that caught my attention earlier on today uh, in Bloomberg, uh, saying that uh, this week 
uh, conversations between African nations and some of the accreditors begin in earnest. Uh, and also President Sir Ramaphosa as uh, African Union chair uh, making the case for a two-year debt holiday on uh, some of the uh, uh, multilateral debt here. Well, what's your view on this? And uh, more importantly, uh, I guess maybe going back to uh, my earlier comment, uh, I'm quite surprised how little uh, in the uh, policy conversation here in South Africa we've spoken about uh, this kind of, um, I guess, debt leniency as a way to get out uh, of this challenge, but also to free up some fiscal space in order for us to respond to what uh, this, requ- uh, this virus might require of us. Um, so, um, it goes without saying that you've got to look at, um, for government to fully uh, assist in the COVID and against the fight of COVID pandemic and the economic, a uh, loss of economic activity, they need additional revenue. So that's not coming from um, taxes or any other source. So our ability to borrow is sort of limited right now, specifically limited right now. So the only thing to do would be to cut your expenses. And since interest is the fastest growing bill on our budget mm. uh, via Didumbo in his budget speech. And the budgets you, of many other African countries. Many budgets mm. of many African countries. You've got, you've got to look at debt relief. So... I also saw that on Bloomberg, and I saw that they looked at um, possibly a nine months. But I think I agree with Cyril. It is two years because I, I think we've, we, need, we need to accept, we need to get into acceptance mode that these restrictions of COVID are going to be with us for at least a year, hmm. at least a bare minimum a year. So we're going to be living this life a lot longer than we all would like to. And we have to... And I think two years is enough gap. I would, I would, I would advocate for a longer period. I'd advocate for three to five years. But I mm. think he's going for what can be looked at, what will be considered. Because why in this moment? Uh, and, I, and I mean, I, I think I've asked this question to many other people as well. Why in this moment are we not having a conversation um, of a London-type agreement? So, well, an agreement, uh, you know, which helped Germany after the Second World War to recover. Uh, from whatever issues they they had throughout that period, and the repayments were actually linked to the ability to uh, get your budget deficit to a certain level, but also was linked to uh, you know uh, a country achieving a trade surplus. So so the requirement and, and the idea was that we want the economy to get back on its feet first before we expect and anticipate any payment. Is there scope? I guess uh, you know in the multilateral conversations from what you've seen. For there to be that kind of, uh, you know, debt relief that says, you know, you you don't have to pay your debt servicing costs until you're able uh, to get your deficit to a certain level or to even get your balance of trade to a certain level. Ah, uh, of course not. I don't think we're there. I don't think we're 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 in the right from a global economic perspective. I don't think we're in that level of of arrangement uh, where we have that level of trust in government. Because remember, a big part of a debt contract is trust. That's a large contingency. So you could almost assume that certain countries to avoid paying interest will not want to grow at a trade surplus. Mm. We don't have that level of trust. There's a, there's a specific level of trust that's required. And You think they, trusted, they trust us less than they trusted the Germans after Second World War? I remember at that they time. No, 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 no. But also you've got to think about it. It was sort of like it was everyone against Germany. They could exert pressure. Mm. there's quite a difference so I'm a believer in the concept of a social contract that we're all in it together that haircuts need to be taken 
But when I look at the current um, global financial markets, we don't have that level of trust where that is feasible. Mm-hmm. Where that is feasible, that that level of trust hasn't yeah, been earned. Yeah. That earned. It's, it's certainly a tough one there, and I think the, the conversations around debt will, will uh, continue. I mean, we saw the likes of Ghana and many other African countries uh, going to the Bretton Woods institutions, and uh, uh, one, uh, one thinks that uh, as we try and recover, uh, that conversation is going to continue between African uh, nations and some of the accreditors abroad. But the other dimension to it, of course, is uh, once uh, the vaccines do come on board or even any other m- medication that we currently have that can respond to COVID-19 is... Um, Uh, you know, what uh, we call here in South Africa price gouging. Now, uh, interesting uh, article coming through in The Guardian earlier on today suggesting that uh, there's been a rise in some of the drug prices uh, or or the prices of the drugs that are needed uh, before we find a vaccine to contain this virus. And uh, uh, they looked at a few uh, uh, drugs here and compared the prices of those drugs in the marketplace uh, to the prices uh, or the cost of putting together a generic or even putting together some of these drugs. Uh, and I was, I must say, sincerely taken aback by how big that gap was. Um, and uh, many of the companies might say yes, uh, because it costs so much to put this thing together. But uh, there's government money in some cases uh, that has subsidized uh, some of these uh, drugs coming into the marketplace. Uh, it's, it's exploitation. When you're an essential service, that's also the thing. When you're an essential service, specifically in the midst of a pandemic, you sort of have an, two options. You can continue your price or try to maximize as much profit in this current climate. Mm, and unfortunately, the sun shines, I guess. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, pharmaceutical companies globally, and this is just globally, they all act the same way. They've always gone to the profit maximization argument. Um, even when we, we have the rush to get a vaccine, of um, the COVID vaccine is that you're, you're, you're going to have the same price exploitation because at the same healthcare, unfortunately, and this is what um, sickens me at the most, is that healthcare is a function of access. The reason why our healthcare is in shatters globally in developed and developing markets is that it's a function of access of your wallet. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's been commodified. There are certain, for me, there are certain industries that shouldn't be, should be basic enough and they should be price capped. And unfortunately, I, I, I do feel that pharmaceuticals and anything related to healthcare should be regulated price-wise. Yeah, yeah. Because I... that, unfortunately, you're in the situation, you've got every single global pharmaceutical worth its penny um, trying to find on the rush to find a COVID vaccine. You've got people starting the trials in the next few weeks. You've got so many things. But for me, um, I, I'm not a doctor, but for mm. me, there's, I, I always look at this in the most practical way. Um, I saw a tweet. It took years for people to make the link of HIV and AIDS. It took years. It took years. So I think our timeline expectation sure, for sure. me is that's what makes me know that we're going to be stuck with these restrictions mm. for a very long time. Um, yeah, it's a, certainly that... a tough one. It's certainly a tough one, yes, Nesipo. And uh, unfortunately, we have run out of time. We're going to have to leave it there. But I guess uh, maybe a bit of trivia to leave you with. And uh, when we catch up next week, you can maybe give me the answer. We're talking about Big Pharma here and uh, some of their price behavior uh, when uh, they find themselves on uh, the beneficial end of a crisis and it made me wonder where our state-owned pharmaceutical company is so maybe when we come back next week you can tell me what the name 
uh, of that state-owned pharmaceutical company. <laughs> and, may, and maybe some of our listeners might also want to do that as well, uh, because we do have one. Uh, and uh, uh, their silence, I must say, is deafening at this moment. Snezibo Maninjwa, thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure catching up with you. Pleasure. That there was a Snezibo Maninjwa. She's a CA, independent market commentator and analyst, and uh, helping us to wrap up our top business stories at the start of this new week.